0: Welcome to When Things Go Wrong, a show about what to do when the things you expect to go just fine simply don't. Often it has nothing to do with what you did or what you didn't do, and yet it affects you in profound ways. I'm your host, Frank Sapovitz. I've spent more than 30 years creating, managing, and producing major sports and entertainment events, and on this show we'll meet fascinating people from all walks of life and business, who had to manage difficult problems, often under tremendous pressure. You'll hear from pros who will show us how they have avoided disaster or managed a crisis when one happened anyway. I can attest that things go right much more often if you run with the right people. Today's guest is one of the best. She was described by the New York Times as the person who transformed the New York City Marathon from traditional to competitive to innovative. Mary Wittenberg first served as the Chief Operating Officer and then the President and CEO of New York Roadrunners, the organizers of more than 50 running events each year, including the world-famous New York City Marathon. An accomplished competitive athlete as well, Mary was the coxswain for the Canisius College Championship Rowing Team and the winner of the 1987 Marine Corps Marathon. Her career began as a law school graduate of the University of Notre Dame, rising as an attorney specializing in negotiating international structured finance deals before reinventing herself as a highly respected sports industry CEO. Today, she's the president of EF Pro Cycling, a Tour de France world tour team. Here's my conversation with Mary Wittenberg.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Frank.
0: Oh, it's great to have you. So let's, let's get right into it. Let's talk about your time at New York Roadrunners. Your organization managed the 2008 U.S. Men's Marathon Olympic Trials. And for five-time road champion Ryan Shea, and really for the entire running world, something went tragically and horribly wrong that day. And you had to deliver some devastating news at the press conference that followed. Tell us about that morning and how you managed the organization, the media, and the message.
1: Some 13 years later, it's still crushing to think about. Ryan Shea, who'd just been married four months, 28 years old, expected to have the best race of his life. He really wanted to make the Olympic team and was in in great shape. Uh, As one of the best athletes in the world, five and a half miles into the race, Ryan collapsed and died at the hospital shortly thereafter. It was shocking. Uh, We held the Olympic trials the day before the marathon that year where we'd have 40,000 some athletes running. And we always contend with medical issues of all sorts, but to have a professional athlete collapse and die at a race is is not only unexpected, although we plan for even a worst case like that, it's 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 just shocking and hits it hits hard everybody.
0: So You and Ryan actually had a personal relationship. You were both alumni at University of Notre Dame. Yes. So,
1: you know, when you really think about how do we have to respond after this happened, um, the first thing we had to do was check our own emotions. Um, I I would have felt the same about any of the young athletes if it happened to any of them, but I was especially close to Ryan. He went to Notre Dame undergrad. I went to Notre Dame law school. I ran with the men's team. He wasn't there at the time, but I ran with the men's team when I was at Notre Dame law school. Uh, so that was very difficult. Um, but number one, once we heard this news that Ryan had collapsed and was on his way to the hospital, and it was a serious situation, um, was to keep the race going. So the most important thing to do in a moment like that is to have an amazing team. And we had that. So this was a complete team effort. And what we were able to do is my technical director, and myself, were able to step back, step away from the race completely and, and, and try to um, be the quarterback on the communication what was happening um, with Ryan and, and with reaching his family and others. Um, our, we had our number three in command at the time, our, our event director step up and keep the race going. We had 121 athletes out on the course and, and media and vehicles and all that comes with the big race. And, and we had to keep that keep that going.
0: And in the meantime, it's becoming a, a media story. If this happened out on the street, it wasn't a secret. So the message is getting out all over the place. So
1: we had to just stay laser focused on in terms of information about Ryan to his family first, and in terms of the race keeping it going on um, in a a, um, safe and orderly way. It wasn't yet clear exactly what had happened, but we knew we had a major medical issue and Ryan was at the hospital.
0: So how did you manage the media side of this as well? You you were in contact with the family, but you also had to talk to the greater world all while the race is still going on.
1: What we tried to do was we did not want to be operating in rumor. And so we tried to not relay any information um, other than we knew Ryan was at the hospital because that really was all we knew for certain. And one of the major lessons I learned that way day is to, anything you're told at that moment that as fact, how the presence of mind to, to, to ask, is that re-? that appears to be fact at the moment, but are we going to have different sources of information? And as time went on, sure enough, any number of things that I was told at that moment from a variety of sources didn't end up being true. So we had, I would say the instinct to know to say less and and not get into my new detail because I wasn't as confident in all the different sources and could see there was some conflicting information. And I'm glad we waited and just stayed on the most basic and most important facts.
0: Yeah. The, the sentence that I've heard uh, delivered to me was, do you know that to be a fact or do you believe that to be well a said. fact? Well said. Well said. Big difference.
1: And and you're not always the person to be delivering, if in our case, to be delivering the information. In our case, we were the head of the organization, so we were responsible for the most important information. But a lot of the how-tos, there's any number of city agencies, not how-tos, but what happened, there's any number of city agencies involved. And again, that's not the moment to get into all that. For us, it was a clear north star of the family and making sure the family knew what was happening and the family would feel that Ryan was respected and that we were treating this from a human perspective um, first and foremost and completely.
0: You, You were really able to respond very thoughtfully because you didn't react. You talked about that right up front, which was I was able to get my team to manage the race, which was something that you were also in charge of, but because you had now this new priority, you could move to thinking about that alone instead of also thinking about the race. You had a team that you could trust to do that so that you could you could respond much more thoughtfully. And the other thing that I took from it is you were able to respond thoughtfully because you were being very careful about what information you were getting. You weren't reacting and saying, well, we've got to get... All of this information out right away. We have to be able to verify. We have to be able to authenticate.
1: Exactly. And I think it's very important, especially in the event world. But it's actually true in most most worlds. Um, if you are the ultimate leader and on a big day at a big event, you need to make sure that your attention can be drawn to the crisis to something else that can happen that's unexpected and that the show goes on. And we certainly think about it in the long term and when we think of succession and building deep benches, but it's very much true in, in, on, the, on the biggest stages, on the biggest days in the event business
0: So you had to be a tremendous communicator at the time. You had to be candid. You had to be authentic. You had to be genuine. You had to make sure that everything that you were presenting was going to be realistic. And and doing that under enormous pressure, enormous scrutiny. Now, do you credit your ability to project that kind of confidence and authenticity under pressure to your training in law?
1: I, I credit my authenticity to, to growing up the growing up the oldest of seven children (laughs) uh life is very real when you're when you're in a big family like that um and it's it's probably where i get my empathetic side um my confidence comes from my law firm days you learn in a big law firm to sink or swim and i learned to quarterback big corporate deals before i was ready i learned to sit in conference rooms so nervous feeling like everyone else is so much more senior and they know all of this and they're so much more experienced but yet you learn how to run a deal and that confidence is it's now 20 plus years later and i still get so much from i'm from from the confidence i had to learn to have and to show even though i didn't have the same experience. I didn't have the same knowledge. I didn't have close to the same confidence as, as many other people in that room.
0: So you get thrown into the deep end of the pool and you have to swim, but some people have, have to learn how to swim. Is there a way to prepare yourself for that? Any tips on being able to face the cameras or an audience under pressure?
1: Always remember you're talking to people. whether you're talking to a camera or you're talking into a big ballroom and you can only see with the lights on, like one row, if that, on the other side, in all these situations are people. And I think if you can think about who are the most important people in the intended audience of this conversation, and that's, that's the best way to be ready. If you do that, then I find that you're gonna be okay. In, in my case with with Ryan on television, I had two audiences, right? I had his family, and I had other people who see themselves in the moment, right? Whoa, what happened to this athlete? Can this happen to me? Like what was it that caused this? And And you know we people running the next day are they're nervous. And I knew I was talking to those people. I wasn't talking to the greater New York City, 8 million people, even though it would have appeared that way if you were just thinking about who's watching television. So I do think uh, if you think about who's on the other end of the, of, of the camera and who you're talking to, and it's okay to just say what you know, just make sure you're, you are staying true to what it is you're trying to say and to whom.
0: So let me take you back several more years at, at Roadrunners. You, you and your team were in the heat of planning the New York City Marathon uh, that was supposed to be ske- uh, scheduled for and, and I think ultimately did happen on November 4th, 2001. And about six weeks before that, on September 11th, New York and the rest of the world was, of course, changed forever. I'm, I'm sure that you, like all of us, were stunned and devastated by the by the profound human tragedy. And taking nothing away from that, at some point, it probably dawned on you that it might impact your plans for the marathon.
1: It's another day I can remember like yesterday, and the and the days that followed I can remember so clearly. And our initial reaction. At New York Roadrunners was how could we help, and it was a more immediate reaction to to your point. Our marathon start line coordinator Vic Navarra, a volunteer firefighter, by then a retired firefighter, so he was a volunteer, um, was threw himself into into the response, and we were helping with food and T-shirts and all the stuff that we thought might be needed, and sadly wasn't needed. All that was needed was was really food and helping the response teams. Um, as a, an aside, Vic later died at only 55 years old from sinus cancer that that likely came from that. So we were in those early di- early moments very close to it because of Vic and what the needs of the moment were. By the end of that week, we were very much thinking, what does this mean for the marathon? And the mayor let us know confidentially within that week that, the marathon would go be going forward and effectively said, get ready because the race is going on because the city is going to need, you know, to carry on. And that the marathon is this emblem of, of all of New York and, and, and the spirit of New York. And so we knew within a week that we would, we would be going forward. And I'd say from that point, it was still the profound human, toll and human response that drove everything we did for that marathon so i remember reading the new york times obituaries and and we would be reading about people who were going to run the marathon and then we we would hear from people there was a young guy named rob paratza for example who had just been engaged and he was a, a broker um and he was a trader and he was supposed to run the marathon, his uncle called and we ended up with a relationship with his uncle. His uncle ran with his number for the next 10 years, members of the family ran with that number. So for us, it was, how do we honor those lost? And then as you remember, well, how do we honor the first responders? And I'll never, ever forget that day because of the race. It was the, the runners in the race who are normally the ones applauded by all the fans, it was the runners who were applauding at every firehouse and saying thank you to these firefighters and police and everybody who had helped. Uh, so it was still very much through the lens of the, the human human response and what did the city need and how would we bring the city back together. There were a lot of logistics like we needed a new we needed a new expo location. We needed, um, it was the USA Championships. Could they still go on? And they did. And I'll never be prouder than watching our young Americans hands on their hearts racing for a USA Championships in New York City on that day. But again, we led with the, the the human response actually first. And then, you know, we're event people like you. So the logistics are logistics and are critical, but that's where we are most comfortable. and We can handle that part
0: so but but leading your team in an environment like that with with tremendous uncertainty and fear and and personal stories that they were coping with too that had to be a challenge
1: it 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 was a challenge and it was one i would then experience and now we all seem to continue to experience over and over again if you think about from 9-11 to the financial crisis in 2008 to Hurricane Sandy in 2012 to Boston bombings in 2013 to a pandemic. In each of those crises, your own staff see themselves and are worried about themselves and they're worried about their own families. So I think all you can do is is be truthful and then ensure your purpose is, is strong and real and and. Nothing changes that that mission, and and then try to really hold it together because as a leader, you're there for everyone else. And so, what that what does that mean? It means it's okay to say it's okay to be scared, guys. Here's what we are doing. 9 11. I'll never forget. It was to be honest, the first time we did real crisis planning. It's the first time you know we were we were together with all the agencies saying, if this, go here, do that how to protect everybody, This all the, all the what is now very classic around big, large-scale events in terms of security and medical support, it all came in with 9-11. So all we could do was tell our team, it's okay to be scared, but here's why we think this is okay to go forward. Here's why it's important where we fit. We as the Marathon fit in this larger narrative and need in the city, and, and here's what we're doing.
0: That, that mission and focus really helps. It helps keep your staff energized. It keeps them focused on what you need to achieve. And it takes them a little bit out of their own personal crisis that they're suffering from.
1: Yes. And you have to be willing to look at it, which is something we would learn later, right? Does it? And many of us have just learned in the pandemic. Did the NBA have to go forward on the day when the first test was positive? No, they did not. In the old days, you oh, no, you would carry on. No, you did not. So, so you have to be willing to say this is not sacrosanct. There are times at which our mission and our purpose can wait. And, you know, that came with learning over time. So I think you've got to be, if you're going to be honest with your teams, you have to be willing to say it's not always we must carry on.
0: So when, when something goes wrong, it's completely natural to apply what's worked for us before. So when we've had to deal with a similar challenge, we want to use the same solution. But, but even similar situations have different variables at play, and, and you can't always rely on a past course of action. Sometimes you need a unique solution. Can you recall an instance when a past response did not turn out to be the best response in a new situation?
1: Yes. Uh, Hurricane Sandy in 2012 uh, is Exhibit A to this reminder to pause, pause, pause and challenge your thinking based on history. And for us, the situation was it seemed from afar to be a 9-11 moment. Hurricane Sandy has happened only this time, not six weeks before key differentiation, difference here. It happened the weekend before and very different in in many ways. And each of those ways ended up making a big difference in the question of whether the marathon should and could carry on. But we approached it together with Mayor Bloomberg in in the same way we had approached 9/11, this is the city that doesn't sleep. It's the city that carries on. It's the the marathon, and the the whole metaphor of the marathon is is pushing through. It's it's the same team, and and the the administration wasn't in yet. Bloomberg wasn't in yet, but they also were you know very much in New York City and part of 9/11. So we all had experienced the celebration of the marathon. So where we all went with it, with our partners was This is gonna be a telethon. We're gonna raise all this money for New York City. We're gonna raise awareness. We're gonna bring the people back together. We're gonna help in all these areas that needed help. But what the city needed most in that moment, so close to the the impact and, and day of the hurricane was for us to pause. And, and for us not to run through the streets of New York and for us not to bring people from around the world here and for us to take every resource and and our runners that were local and have them be the ones to run uh, pallets of water up 19 steps of, of apartments and housing projects that had run out of power and didn't have elevators and for us to be the ones in in Staten Island where you still couldn't drive into the hardest hit areas, but you could run and you could carry backpacks full of supplies. And that's the beautiful form the marathon took that year, but it took us too long that week to see that it was a moment to say, how do we serve best? And is it differently? Is it different than the, than the way our traditional form of, of lifting the city through running the marathon?
0: So the marathon dealt with 9-11. It dealt with Sandy. And then the Boston Marathon suffered its own security issue and its own crisis. And that created some security issues for you, too. So
1: remember, Hurricane Sandy was November 2012. Boston, the Boston bombings, that was spring 2013, so what is six months as related to, what is six months for Boston and for New York City, right? And what was most interesting to me about the Boston bombings, I would say it was the day that most challenged our reason for being and then gave us the most drive to ensure we were back for an amazing marathon 2013 in New York. And Bonnie Ford wrote an article the night of the Boston bombings that gave me what I wanted to say to our team when I gathered them in New York the morning after the Boston bombings. It goes back to exactly what you asked earlier. It was the first time I looked in the eyes of not the first time, we'd already done this in 9-11. It was always familiar to me, but I remember looking at our head of events that morning and he's got two young kids, now three. And I remember thinking this damn well better be something we really believe is worth it if we're gonna ask our people to, to put on another event because our hearts were with, not only everybody affected in Boston directly, but the team, imagine working on that event, and, and that happens at your event. And Bonnie Ford wrote an article, and the heading was something to the effect of Boston bombings will test marathon organizers. And, and the test wasn't whether we could carry on. It was whether it was worth carrying on. And in, in reading that thoughtful piece, it was a guide for us to really, really think about not should the marathon go at a different time, should we change in some way but is is the risk worth it and you know we in the end, when you look at all the benefit and what it does for everybody that's in it and for the cities, and you know the conclusion is yes and and it and we do carry on, but it was a moment of sincere pause, and then a doubling down of this is why we are here and this is how we bring people together and this is our reason for being as an organization and and our inspiration for most of us as as individuals and we were tested and and it it strengthened our resolve
0: well it, it's it's really a testament to you and and your leadership and your team's uh, expertise that you were able to Take what you learned from things that you have had to face and things that other people have faced and create a better solution at the end of the day, a safer solution at the end of the day.
1: And it's, here's something to remember, even though we all may compete in whatever our industry is or sport. So today I run a men's cycling team. We compete with the other cycling teams, but guess what? When it comes to athletes and the risks they face, we're in it together. Same with marathons, Chicago, New York, London, we may compete, but in the end of the day, we are um, each other's best support. No one else knows what it's like to put on the 45,000, 50,000 person, big city marathons, then the one or two, now five other people who do that, right? So I think even when we compete with other people, keep in mind when it comes to safety, health, um, the well-being of of your people and your event and your business, there's much more commonality there than I think sometimes we realize and we need each other. So I found among the marathon crew, we all learn from each other every single day. And each of those events today is as good as it is, thanks to the neighboring event and and the shared learnings.
0: I think that's true of really every industry that they can learn from their, their competitors as well. So let, let's talk about the time after your time at Roadrunners and before your current role at EF Pro Cycling. You were the CEO of Virgin Sport, which was a, a subsidiary of Virgin Group that was founded to support mass participation running and cycling and, and triathlon. The inaugural event in the United States was scheduled to be held in San Francisco, but you had another challenge to face beyond your control.
1: This time, my experience from hurricane Sandy was directly applicable. And the beautiful thing was in the unfortunate situation of it being the weekend of the wine country fires, where once again, our immediate response was about the people affected and, and, and thinking about what did the city need in the area? Because the fires weren't right in San Francisco. The smoke was in San Francisco. The fires were in Santa Rosa and surrounding areas. But luckily, this time, I knew exactly what we had to do, as did my team, a number of whom had worked with me before at New York Roadrunners. And on one hand, I knew others from New York City events. And so we knew how to... To cancel an event. And it was a textbook beautiful cancellation that we did much earlier. And we devoted that weekend to, to supporting um, the firefighters and, and the, the families in need. So there is an example where, to be honest, in 2012, I never really thought that I would learn use my learnings from a canceled marathon, but rather I'd share my learnings and other people would use them if they had to cancel their marathon. But it was um, at least a at least when it happened again, uh, at least I, I, I had benefited from the learning, and it's one of those moments I walked away thinking, boy, is there advantage to experience?
0: Yeah, there surely is. So tell us a little bit about your new passion, EF Pro Cycling.
1: So it's great fun. We I um, work with this team here of. Um, Cyclists who participate in the Tour de France and the World Tour of Racing. What is very cool about cycling is it is uniquely global. It is truly global where we race around the world. And what I like most about it is similar to what I love most about New York Roadrunners and Virgin Sport is that the pro athlete can be inspiring to regular people who want to get out and, and ride bikes. And EF is a company... Uh, called EF Education First that is committed to um, helping bring the world together through education and travel. And so it's pretty cool that the EF owns the team. So we have a whole, I'd say, bigger picture approach to this, that it's about the team not only going out to be their best and looking to win, but, you know, being out and exploring the world and, and bringing different cultures of people together, which is something that's really important today. And we try to try to make a center, center point and part of of this pro cycling team racing around the world.
0: So it has has the COVID nineteen crisis affected the business, and, um, and if so, how 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 are you managing through that?
1: Uh, it, like everybody, uh, not everybody. I guess we could all work for Zoom, but um, uh, huh. for most of us, it has very much affected our business. For us, it's been in two ways. One, these are events that take place outside in closely packed pelotons of riders so first with regard to our riders and our staff and when was it time to stop racing and when was it time to get back to racing so i think we managed through that pretty well actually we were early in in seeking to ride in in march and then we were a big part of a belief that we could write race safely um again in the uh in the middle to end of August and into September and, and we're part of a safe tour de France. And that was a big deal and big for the industry and, and, and big for um, the towns and cities in, in France at the time. Um, And it showed us how with a lot of work cycling could carry on um, through, through the, through the pandemic. And that, is I think very helpful as we as we look ahead and assess what's going to make most sense for 2021. We were very much affected as well from a commercial perspective. Um, EFS in education and travel business, and you know, travel businesses um, have been impacted by the pandemic. So we suddenly needed to raise uh, a fair amount more money than than we were planning to secure. 2021 and ultimately we're able to to do that. And it all sounds like a sentence now, but you can imagine, like was the case for many people, it was seven months of every day of of figuring out how to do that. And the most inspiring part to me is it ended up being our best year ever, which is a real wow. testament to our riders and our staff and the in the support at, at EF.
0: Well, I I've long marveled at your leadership and your your composure, your ability to elevate every organization you've been involved with. And I, I think some of that success comes down to you too, although you're much too modest to ever say that. That's my job to do. You, you've not only negotiated some really rough roads over your career, and in, in my opinion, you've really triumphed. Can, can you share any wisdom on preparing yourself for tough challenges you hope never come? Well,
1: first, it starts with the team. so absolutely you need to be working with strong other people who will challenge you because when it comes to tough challenges, it's another example. The last thing you need is a team of people who, who are yes, people to you. You need people that not only can you count on in an emergency, but as you're planning, as you're getting ready, you need the people who are going to challenge you because that's, what's going to make you and the team strong enough. And it's going to help you anticipate as much as possible Two. I always assume things are going to go wrong. I'm an optimist by nature, but I'm, I'm realistic too. And this, this may, this may not um, be a a favorite thing people want to hear, but I even get to new year's now, super optimistic about humankind and uh, and about life and and where it's all going to go. But I, I'd say now for probably since 2012, the last, 10 years. I get to New Year's, I think there's going to be things this year that are going to be way more challenging than ever anticipated. It's pretty much been true every year in some form and sometimes not, but I think you have to prepare yourself. It's tough challenges are going to come. We don't control everything. So I like to spend a lot more time not on detailed plans because, I mean, you can't, you need to do that in events for a number of areas, but, but also just, you know, what are my principles? What matters to me? Who's the team around me? You know, are we, do we have the reserves to deal with an issue? And, you know, can we, can we, do we have the diversity of thinking? Do we, do we have the strength to face whatever it's going to be. And it might be something we have no experience with. It might be um, something we could never imagine, but if we have our principles and our purpose and a strength of the team and a diversity of thought, we'll have a much better chance at, at not only surviving, but, but trying to, to thrive in the midst of or after a crisis.
0: Well, you you had it nailed on New Year's Eve last year, for sure, because if you were wondering about what the big challenges of 2020 was going to be, you nailed it. Um, And who would have thought about a pandemic? I certainly did not think about a pandemic. 2021, totally different. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to take us to a personal note. How has managing adversity on the job affected how you deal with the occasional things that go sideways in your own personal life?
1: I I think what's very much the same is what is this all about in the end? Like what really matters and at work it's mission and purpose and team and at home it's, it's family and, and an understanding. I really try, like how bad can it be? Like we can get through stuff. Like, you know, there's a resilience that comes with just the, confidence that it's okay. Like we can, we can handle most anything that comes our way. And, and, you know, it's a human side that's always the hardest. Um, Most of the rest of, of, of life we can, we can deal with disappointment, right? We can deal with challenge. We can deal with a lot that comes um, upon many people in these days. If, you know, we have the fundamentals of our relationships and the love in our family and the things that that matter most.
0: Mary Wittenberg from EF Pro Cycling, you are a true master over disaster. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on When Things Go Wrong. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your insights, your experience with us. And we'll be rooting for you and the EF Pro Cycling team. Thanks so much. Great to speak with you, Frank. Learn more about how to plan for and survive the inevitable blips, bloopers, and blunders of life and business in What to Do When Things Go Wrong, available in hard copy, ebook, and audiobook from Amazon.com and other fine booksellers. I'm Frank Sapovitz, and remember, if it hasn't happened to you, it just hasn't happened to you yet. The When Things Go Wrong podcast is produced by Chris and Mandy Wimmer and is a production of Black Barrel Media in association with Fast Traffic Entertainment. You can find more Black Barrel Media shows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. For more background on this show, join us at Black Barrel Media on Facebook and Instagram, at Media on Twitter, and on our website at blackbarrelmedia.com. See you next time, if all goes well.